This recording has been produced by Christchurch, Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. Our worship continues through the public reading and study of His Word. Let's open our ears to hear what the Spirit has to say to us through the Word of God. Our first reading, Isaiah 60, verse 1 through 6. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be nursed at your side. Then you shall see and become radiant, and your heart shall swell with joy, because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the Gentiles shall come to you. The multitude of camels shall cover your land, the dromedaries of Midian and Ephah. All those of Sheba shall come and shall bring gold and incense, and they shall proclaim the praises of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. And our second reading is from the book of Ephesians, chapter 3, 1 to 12. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to you, which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and, and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable reaches of Christ and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through the faith in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Our gospel portion is from the gospel according to Matthew chapter 2. And we will honor an ancient Christian tradition. Please stand. It's customary to stand in the presence of a king. It's customary to stand when hearing about the king. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. 
When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called to the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me, that I may come and worship him also. But when they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we um, pray that uh, on this feast of the Epiphany, uh, indeed you will reveal yourself to us, reveal your Son, Jesus. We may take away uh, a deeper uh, understanding of not only who he is, but really what it means to be his disciple, his student, his follower. Help us in these matters, Lord, we pray. Uh, in the mighty name of Jesus, amen. So, as mentioned, we come to the end of the Christmas season. I like the um, way of doing Christmas like this because it's not just a one-day event. We don't start taking down the tree on the 26th and uh, returning all the gifts that we don't like. Mm-hmm. Yes. <clears throat> yes, but there we go. So, uh, so I like the <clears throat> I like the tradition uh, because there is a season of Christmas. There's a preparation, uh, Advent, getting ready for Christmas, uh, and then there are some Sundays, uh, depending on how the calendar works. There are some Sundays that uh, uh, follow after Christmas, and uh, we know this is the Christmas season. Uh, always around January the 6th, uh, we remember the revelation of uh, Jesus to the Gentiles, and that revelation first, first takes place um, when the Magi or the uh, magicians, the astrologers, Come to uh, come to visit Jesus. Now, it's certainly, as I mentioned earlier, it is a wondrous story. It is a story that is uh, full of mystery. Uh, how is it that a star can stop, you know, over one particular house? We don't know these things, and uh, my suggestion is that we don't try to figure them out uh, and to become uh, overly rational uh, about this. Uh, 
particular uh, story because it does teach us um, a number of really uh, important uh, Im uh, important things. I think uh, first and foremost is that it's going to reveal the identity or help us to come to a better understanding of the identity of Jesus. Now we've, uh, in chapter 2 of the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew has already told us that the name of Jesus will be Yeshua, uh, that he will save uh, his people from their sins. We're told that he's going to be Emmanuel, and of course you know that there's a, I think all of us know that there's a very uh, close connection between Emmanuel and Yeshua. We cannot have Emmanuel, we cannot have God with us until the issue of sin uh, and rebellion and our, um, you might say, imprisonment uh, by the devil is uh, dealt with. And so Jesus comes to save us from our sin, not simply so that we can go to heaven. The purpose of being saved from our sin is to come into intimate relationship with him, to be transformed, to become the new creation. And uh, actually, really, you might say, to, to learn what it really means to be human. Yes, made in the, made in the image of God. We have done ourselves a disservice uh, by only t uh, thinking about or talking about uh, salvation from sin uh, as a way to get to heaven. It is, a tr it is certainly true, but it's only part of the truth. Um, there's so much more, and uh, I think I'm afraid that oftentimes we miss out. Jesus is revealed as the son of Abraham already in the first two chapters. Um, he's also revealed as the uh, son of David. Jesus never calls himself the son of David, but Matthew's gospel is going to let us know that over and over again that he is indeed uh, David's son, and especially the way that uh, genealogy uh, is constructed. Uh, there is, it has a very Jewish uh, flavor to it, and uh, we have three generations of uh, 14. It's not the whole genealogy of Jesus. It's the genealogy has been cut or it's been edited uh, so that we get 14 generations, 14 generations, 14 generations. And of course, any of you who know Hebrew, yes, what name uh, is equivalent to 14? To what? To the number 14. Dalet, Vav, Dalet. Yeah, David. Yes, so Matthew is going to tell us in many different ways. He's going to reveal to us uh, who, who Jesus is. He um, is now going to reveal to us, okay, this mystery of God, something that God had in mind all along. Now, uh, to encounter a mystery in the New Testament, as we read in the book of Ephesians, is not some secret. Uh, God's not playing a trick with us, you know, uh, sometimes you may remember your children or our children, or may, we might even recall ourselves uh, when you, you want to, to tease or to taunt other children. You would walk into a room and say, I have a secret, <laughs> you know. That's not God. That's not God. We don't always understand who God is. But when God said there's a mystery, uh, it's something that uh, he wants, he will reveal 
but the mystery is uh, slowly revealed at the right time. And now that mystery is going to be revealed. What is that mystery? That God is not only the God of Israel, but he's also the God of the Gentiles. Yes? Uh, and that God did not choose Israel, okay, simply for its own sake. He chose Israel uh, for us. He chose Israel for the nations. Yes, and uh, I quoted the I, I quoted Chris Wright this morning. So I can quote him again this evening. Uh, There's a very well-known uh, British evangelical theologian who once said that we can sum up the Old Testament in these words: that God so loved the world. Yes, that God so loved the world that He chose Israel. He chose Israel for our sake. He chose Israel for the nations because God is passionate about the nations. Just read the book of Revelation. It's God's goal that all the nations stand around his throne in worship. Yes, that he blesses the nations and enters into relationship with the nations. Yes, and that was the function in part. That was Israel's mission, you might say. And so... Um, we now learn in this story, very sweet story, as I said, a wondrous story, a mysterious story. Uh, and I hope you will understand uh, the way I use this word, an enchanted story, uh, using it uh, in the sense of magic. We understand that now the, um, God, is God, of the, uh, God is the king of the Gentiles. Because who comes to visit are some magicians, some astrologers. We sometimes try to clean up their act and say they're astronomers. They're astrologers. They're magicians. They're Gentiles. They're Zoroastrians. They're not quite pagan uh, in the classic sense. They have uh, some elements of their religion uh, is similar to, to Judaism. Yet, without scripture, without having verses, without having prophecy, they come, yes, from far away. And they have one simple goal. Yes, they have one simple goal. They didn't come to make a movie. Yeah, okay. <laughs> This is not going to be on the National Geographic channel. Yeah. Um, their simple goal was to come and worship. What an amazing thing. They came from far away, under mysterious circumstances. They come to worship. But you know, there's obstacles that get in the way. Uh, there are obstacles, but ultimately they're not obstacles. So we have wicked King Herod. And uh, good old King Herod used to hang out right here uh, at, on this property because uh, we're all sitting in the palace gardens of uh, Herod the Great, what we call the, uh, the citadel, or the, uh, we mistakenly refer to as the Tower of David. Uh, all of this area was once the palace slash fortress of that paranoid uh, King Herod. Of course, we probably should be a little gentle with King Herod, maybe a tiny, tiny bit charitable. Um, we should always remember the words 
that um, Henry Kissinger had for Richard Nixon. He used to say that even paranoids have enemies, okay? <clears throat> okay. So he, Herod, um, of course, hears about this rival, this messianic rival, and Herod uh, surely wants to kill him. Now, we know of six Herods in the New Testament. I think five out of the six, and the exception is Herod Philip, are all, you might put them in the column of bad guys, okay? You might uh, say that they oppose the gospel, or they oppose John the Baptist, or they oppose the early church, yes? And here you have the state, yes, or the politicians trying to oppose God's work. Are we surprised? No, we're not surprised. And one of the stories I like, and I think it's very powerful, is uh, in uh, the book of Acts, when we have the story of Herod Agrippa, the grandson of Herod the Great. And he's an opponent of the early church. He is in opposition to, uh, to, to the early believers. And, of course, he's causing mayhem. But ultimately, you may remember, he dies of worms uh, when he's there in Caesarea. And uh, people get, begin to ascribe to him uh, a deity or divinity, and he's struck down. And I think the message is, whether you start here in Matthew or go all the way to the book of Revelation, is that the church, the body of Christ, the body of the Messiah, the kingdom of heaven movement, whatever you want to call it, will suffer from opposite, will suffer opposition, okay? Will, uh, we will be imprisoned, we will be murdered, our rights will be taken away by the state. Yes, uh, whether, and today it's a very relevant for us, is it not? Because religious freedom uh, is not necessarily very well respected around the world. And we could be talking about Saudi Arabia, we could be talking about China and the awful things that are happening there to Christians. We could talk, be talking about Russia, um, Central Asia, uh, the Middle East, and more. We will always face opposition from the state. We'll always face opposition from religious empires, or I mean religious systems, from empires, from politicians. But my dear friends, the gospel is never stymied. It may, there may be a setback, and some of us may suffer. Many of us have, um, I don't speak personally, but many of us as believers uh, in, in recent years have suffered. Many um, hundreds of thousands of Christians have died in the last several decades, yes, from imprisonment, torture, uh, whatever it may be. But I'd just like to remind you, so if we're speaking that God is the God of the nations, that the promises that we read in the Hebrew Bible um, should be reassuring. It may not be easy. It may not uh, uh, cause us to um, uh, be flippant or gleeful and say, oh, praise the Lord, God's not going to be stopped. You know, because people are paying a price. Yes. And so whether it's in the book of Matthew or all the way to the book of Revelation, let me just tell, remind you of some of these promises that um, are very 
essential. When we talk about the promise for Christmas, for unto us uh, he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's on every Christmas card, or many Christmas cards. Actually, I don't know if we do Christmas cards anymore, okay? And it says, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Yes? Meaning, the Messiah, yes, is expanding his kingship. He's expanding his rulership. He started with 70 or maybe 120, who knows, maybe less, I should say fewer, maybe fewer. He started on the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee. And he said that his kingdom is going to grow, his kingship is going to expand, and now, I, and I know we're not very perfect, but there are two billion people who call Jesus Lord. My dear friends, the glass is not half empty. The glass is half full. Yes, and uh, we should not fall into pessimism. Even if there are many people in the West, in Western countries, yes, who are abandoning their faith. I have to ask what kind of faith they had to begin with. Or what, was, what kind of understanding they had of, uh, of Jesus himself. And of course, you, you know the, the famous uh, passage in, uh, I hope you know the famous passage in uh, the book of Daniel. It talks about the Son of Man. Uh, and this is a divine, sublime, a divine sublime figure that is pre-existent with God in heaven before um, yes, before he, he comes to earth. And uh, this is the, the title that Jesus loves to use about himself. He doesn't call himself the, the, um, the Messiah, or he doesn't call himself the son of David. He calls himself the, uh, the son of man. And here we have a verse uh, about the son of man. It says, in my vision at night, I looked and there was before me one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days, that was God, and he was led into his presence. He was given um, authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is everlasting. Yes, that will not pass away. His kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. That's what the Magi discover they discover that he is the king of the nations. Not just the king of the Jews, but the king of the nations. And yes, there are nations who don't acknowledge and political systems that don't acknowledge. Uh, but one day, uh, all nations uh, indeed will uh, acknowledge. Every tongue will confess. Yes, every knee will bow. And I was um, also just reading in... Uh, Daniel 7, uh, just a little bit of Passover verse, and it says um, that uh, it says the people of the, it says his kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will worship and obey him. All the Herods, yes, all the Hitlers, uh, all those, all the Mussolinis, all those who are oppose God. And so the, the Magi, um, as, and we all know, 
This has become very colorful. It's not very biblical, but I still like how colorful it's become and how we have taken this story and we have filled in quite a few of the blanks. Uh, and we're no different than Jewish Midrash. Yes, this is our version, uh, our version of Midrash. We now have three. Who um, doesn't say that there were three? We, uh, one of them uh, is black or African. That's kind of cool. <laughs> yes, everybody, everybody gets in the act. Everybody has. A, I'm sure someone's got to be. Uh, next few years, we'll um, make one of them Chinese. Uh, China becomes more and more powerful in this world. Um, they, uh, you always see them either on the Christmas card or in the Hallmark uh, specials, yes, the TV specials. They come, the, these three so-called wise men or kings, they're not called wise men and they're not called kings, they're magicians. They come uh, to the manger or to the creche, but of course if you read the text very carefully, they meet they uh, go to the house where Joseph and Mary uh, were living. Uh, and so what do we make of all this? I think what, um, what indeed uh, is important in all this is not only did Herod not stop them, okay? Not, and so Herod tried to, to stop them. Herod also, like a polit many politicians, they tried to take God's people and they try to use them for, use us for their own benefit. Yes, they want elections, they want votes, they want support, uh, whatever it may be. And the church oftentimes has been very good about resisting, you know, those tyrants who want to somehow stamp out the gospel. But where we struggle and find it difficult, and I don't say this in a condemning way because it is difficult where we find it uh, really kind of hard to find our way is when uh, the political system says, hey, Christians, hey, religious people, hey, believers, hey, come, let's, um, let's reason together. I need a little support. You want a little bit of this. And oftentimes the political system can co-opt us. Yes, can kind of suck us in. Um, is this a good thing? It is a bad thing. We need to be very careful. We need to be very, very careful. You notice in the story that the wise men being, not the wise men, look, I, I even fall into it, the magi, the magi being warned in a dream didn't play that game, right? Now, I said that they came to worship. And that what, I think what's amazing uh, about all this is that this is the first of 13 times that uh, Jesus is worshipped in Matthew's gospel. No other gospel, yes? And Matthew is so incredibly Jewish. It's kind of strange. You would think with Matthew having such a Jewish emphasis uh, that you wouldn't have people worshipping Jesus. But in this gospel, yes, uh, at the very beginning, uh, in the middle, uh, at the very end, uh, Jesus is worshipped. And the first time he's worshipped, he's worshipped by, worshiped by the Magi. And it says two things that I, three things that are, I think are worth noting there about the worship. Because I think those three things uh, are 
applicable to us or something that we can learn from, should learn from, is one, yes, um, all of this is a mystery. This is all a mystery. Do they f understand all the implications? Do they have all the right doctrine? And by the way, because they were astrologers, I do not think the Bible is condoning astrology. So put away your horoscopes, please. <laughs> Renounce them, actually. Um, did they understand the big plan? Did they understand that uh, Jesus is uh, the light to the nations and the glory of Israel? They didn't understand any of that. Uh, and by, by the way, many of us don't fully understand what, who God is because our, we're limited in our understanding and our knowledge. We, we have an idea. We're growing in that knowledge. We don't understand doctrine perfectly. We may not, how is it possible that Jesus is human and Jesus is divine and what about the Trinity and what about this and what about that? And here, uh, especially uh, here and throughout the gospel, people, their response after encountering Jesus is to worship. Is to worship. That's the place we begin. Don't begin trying to figure it all out. And I'm not condoning a bad teaching. I'm not condoning uh, bad doctrine. I mean, these are very important. And uh, being taught... Uh, uh, in an unhealthy way or, or being taught uh, something against the scripture will be dangerous to us and dangerous to other people. But the place of mystery, place of not fully understanding, whether it's a big idea like the divinity of Jesus or something that we're struggling with in our, in our personal life, the place that we be, the place that we begin is with worship. And I'd just like to point out a couple of examples. Um, in the reading from Ephesians, we um, uh, read that Paul s s says to the church in Ephesus, now I want to tell you how this mystery, how what God has kind of kept quiet up to now, and he's now starting to show us and to show the world, yes, uh, that the Gentiles are full heirs with Israel. Yes. And what is Paul's response to that after telling the church? He, Paul says very simply, he says, for this reason I kneel before the Father. Paul worships. Yes, because he's just realized how big and how great God is and how we can't somehow put him in a box and it's very similar in Romans 11. Actually, Romans 9, 10, and 11. These are uh, chapters that, uh, uh, they're very popular around here. So if you're uh, a visitor, um, you know, I have to, to tell you, I have to go walk very carefully, you know, because everybody's got uh, very <clears throat> passionate uh, interpretations about these chapters in Romans. But Paul says, in Romans 9, has God failed? Did God mess up? You know? Why? Because the, the Jews aren't coming as we expected. The Jews aren't coming to the Messiah. Has God failed? 
And Paul says, of course not. And then Paul says, has God rejected his people? And Paul says, of course not. And Paul goes on to say that it's a mystery, that there's still an interrelationship between Israel and the Jewish people, and talking about the state of Israel in this case, but there's an interrelationship, there's a mutuality, there's a connection which starts in Genesis 12 and runs all the way through the Bible. You see it in Isaiah 19, it's in Isaiah 40, uh, it's in uh, some of the um, passages, in the, the, the epistles, yes, uh, and it's there in the book of Revelation where you have those from the 12 tribes and you have those from, from the nations. And yeah, Paul says it's kind of a mystery. He didn't, by the way, he didn't write a book, you know, 15 things you need to know about Israel's future, 15 things that will uh, bring about the end of the world, 25 things to watch for, you know, before the Antichrist comes. And Paul says God is faithful, and God has his own way of doing things. Now many of us, and I've said this before, but it's worth repeating, hear these, uh, maybe sometimes uh, on the first occasion, we hear Gosh, what God is doing amongst his people. How he's not failed. How he's not rejected his people. How he still loves his people for the sake of the patriarchs. And that we should show them mercy. And many people think, hey, I know what I need to do after reading this. I need to wave the Israeli flag. I need to eat kosher dill pickles. Meet, eat falafels. Fly alal do the hora, do la la la, you know, and some people go to the extreme of supporting everything that the Israeli government does because they read these verses. Now what does Paul do? I think it's very, very instructive. He, he sees God in his greatness. Yes, he sees God in his greatness and his response is very practical and m maybe even surprising because Paul uh, says, oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord and who has been his counselor? Okay. Who has ever given of God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. It's an incredible statement. Yes. To him be glory forever. Amen. Let's start the rock concert. Yeah. Let's start up the praise choruses with the smoke machines and the lights. This is big news. Paul, you know what he says? He connects this to uh, something very practical. And he talks about personal holiness as an act of worship because of who God is and because of what he's doing. And Paul will say, I don't fully understand this. And by the way, after the Holocaust and after the rise of Israel, said, we don't fully understand all of this either. Yes, but when we encounter a mystery, yes, Paul says here, therefore I urge you, because of who God is, I urge you brothers in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Paul 
Paul is driven to worship. Those magi, they come and worship. Yes, people are worshiping at the feet of Jesus all through the Gospels. Lepers, the disciples in chapter 14. Yes, the mother of James and John. The women at the uh, empty tomb. And even before, even before Jesus gives his great commission, the disciples in Galilee worship him. They worship him. <coughs> now, by the way, I should, um, we should stress the point that uh, Jesus is being worshipped generally in Matthew's gospel because of who he is not because he's done something for somebody. And you can check the Gospels. He's worshipped worship before he does a miracle for people. Okay? Um, and now we come to the, what about our worship? And we've been so, I think, hypnotized to think that worship has to be sensational, that worship has to be... Um, uh, glorious, that you have to feel goosebumps, that worship, by the way, is only about singing, uh, which it is not, that you have to float out of the building, you know, uh, a few, you know, 20, 30 centimeters off the ground. And if, you know, if this doesn't happen, it's not worship. But where is Jesus present, especially in this gospel? Where do we meet Jesus? We meet Jesus in the ordinary and things that are simple, and things that may not be so dramatic. And there may be no smoke machines. There usually isn't a smoke machine. And you're not sitting in a dark theater uh, in cushioned chairs, yeah, drinking a latte that you got from the, 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 the church uh, uh, Starbucks, yes? Where is Jesus present? Brothers and sisters, he's present at the Lord's table. He's present when we meet the poor and the desperate. He's present when um, we are discipling and teaching the nations. Go into every nation. He's present, according to chapter 18 of Matthew, when we're making peace and working towards reconciliation. And in all of that, our response should be one of worship. Yes? Now, two other things that are worth mentioning here. These um, magi, they come uh, and they bring gifts. May I remind you um, that without gifts, without giving, without returning something to God, I'm not sure if it's worship. worship. The, the principle that we learn from the sacrificial system, what we learn uh, from the book of Leviticus um, is not, and we shouldn't learn this, oh, Jesus fulfilled all that, it's not relevant to us. Jesus died and that, none of that should mean anything to us. Actually, it should mean a lot because it teaches us about worship and holiness and purity. Uh, and so the sacrificial system is that when uh, someone came to Jerusalem, an Israelite, they brought a gift. Uh, they brought a gift according to their means, but the gift, uh, relatively speaking, speaking, 
had to be expensive. It had to be significant. Now, why does God need gifts? Why does God need goats? Why does God? He doesn't need any of those things. Why does he need a flower offering? Yes? It's not like you have to throw it up and he's going to eat it or whatever. God wants his people to give. And they give in return because he's given so much to them. He's given so much to us. Now, we could never repay what he's given to us. Never. And in any event, if we bring an offering, or we bring a sacrifice, or we write, we write a check, who gave us that money, or who gave us that animal in the first place? It was God. Uh, the story, the illustration, which I've used before, but we'll use it again. It's a little bit like a mother who gives her uh, child 50 euros for Christmas. And the child goes out and buys his mother a present for 50 euros. Now the mother is certainly touched and she's moved. Uh, and in the process, yes, of giving gifts, okay, God establishes a relationship. We give gifts in return as to show our gratitude. Okay, we, we can't repay. It's not a question of repaying. It's not a question of earning. Okay, this is a question of, yes, having a relationship. And in the ancient world, whether it's the Jewish world or the Greco-Roman world, the way that uh, relationships were established was through the giving of gifts. By the way, the Hebrew language illustrates this very well. Some of you know the Hebrew word for korban. Korban is sacrifice. But it comes from the Hebrew word karov. Karov is close. Yes? You want to get close to the Lord? Give. You can't give uh, maybe hypocritically or, or et cetera, et cetera. It, but it's in giving. Yes, that we come into... Uh, a deeper and more intimate relationship with the Lord. Yes? So they bring gifts. Now, I could stand up here and tell you uh, some kind of uh, stuff. The gold means that, and the frankincense means that. I don't know. I, I, all of that is conjecture. These are just very valuable. They're very expensive gifts. And by the way, they are mentioned... Um, in the dedication of the temple in 1 Kings 7 and 1 Kings 8. Yes, Solomon receives such gifts when the temple is dedicated. Yes, or Solomon receives similar gifts from the uh, Queen of Sheba. Now, who's Solomon? He's the son of David. Again, this is telling us he's the son of David. Finally, I'd like to close and just say that in the passage we just read, those magi, Worship him with joy. Okay? They worship him with joy. Um, they don't fully understand. They don't fully get it. There are other times in uh, Matthew's gospel when people are worshiping Jesus in fear. Not the fear of human beings, but uh, fear, uh, you might say, in an understanding of how awesome and mighty God is. 
And uh, in Matthew 15, there's an incident where Jesus is worshipped in amazement. And then finally, which I think is really important for us, in uh, Matthew 28, it says those 11 apostles, 11 disciples, meet Jesus in Galilee. Yes, they meet him in Galilee. And they don't understand what's going on. They see that he's resurrected. But the Greek grammar there basically says they're full of... Um, let's read the passage exactly. It says that they worshipped him, but some doubted. Actually, the Greek is that they all doubted. They had worship and doubt together. And so, brothers and sisters, sometimes we doubt. But still, the proper response to all of this is still worship. It's still worship. Yes? And it's daily worship. It's the habit of worship. And maybe the worship will be wonderful and exciting and hair-tingling. And maybe it'll just be quiet and ordinary. But still, nonetheless, our response is worship. Let's pray. Father in heaven, the story of these magi uh, who came from the East, Lord, we pray that um, we can learn, really, truly learn something from their story uh, and their encounter with you. I pray that... Um, they, they will guide us uh, and, and be uh, an example to us uh, as we um, spend a year, yes, uh, considering this gospel, the gospel in which we learn that you are Emmanuel, God with us. Father, we do pray that uh, you'll continue to be with us this evening. As we come to the Lord's table, as we fellowship, we ask that your presence will be in this place. And that all of us will uh, sense that presence. And we ask this for your sake, for the glory of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you and blessings from the city of the king.